Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning again. It's Hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Appreciate your including me in your day on this Wednesday of Holy Week. Um, Yes, thank you for all of those texting in this morning. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. Those of you who heard the news at the top of the hour, uh, a couple of comments coming in about it does feel a little bit ridiculous that we are... um, having debates and conversations in our country about who may or may not use a particular bathroom. Um, It is a very, very privileged land uh, in which these kinds of conversations and debates could, could take place. I have traveled places around the world where, you know, there, there is no functional plumbing at all. um, And there are no debates in those environments about who can use which, um, which hole out behind, uh, you know, the only building where you might find some privacy. <clears throat> so, yes, it's a grossly privileged conversation that we're having in the United States of America about who may or may not use what particular bathroom. Um, I'll just go ahead and acknowledge that. Former President Trump pleaded not guilty to 34 felony counts of falsifying business records yesterday in New York. Prosecutors allege that uh, he used his businesses to, quote, purchase negative information. Um, It's called a catch and kill, um, if you wanted to Google it. Um, Purchase negative information about him to suppress its publication in order to benefit his 2016 presidential campaign. And then he hid those payments. This is the allegation. And then he hid those payments as legal fees. Falsifying records is a misdemeanor in the state of New York. Um, and the statute of limitations on those particular offenses is long past. But the Manhattan DA is seeking to use what I will describe as a novel legal theory um, that would see the misdemeanors enhanced to felonies by connecting them to some unspecified violations of New York state election law. So um, there's a lot we still don't know. Um, we do know the charges that have been brought against the president, the former president. And um, we also know that they've been stacked, which is to say there's like um, three charges 11 times. And so um, that's 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 called stacking. And you're not really supposed to do that. But there you go. The former president's time in um, in court yesterday was relatively brief. As we understand it, he was fingerprinted. The charges were read. Um, He entered his not guilty plea and then he returned to Florida where he gave a speech before a crowd of supporters. Um, And um, so there you go. The uh, the judge denied the prosecution's request that um, the former president be issued a gag order. Um, Obviously, that didn't happen. And the president um, went on to speak his mind last evening. He um, among the things he said, 
I never thought anything like this could happen in America. I never thought it could happen. Um, the only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defending the nation from those who seek to destroy it. Um, one of the concerns that I'll raise um, is is the question of whether or not people perceive our system as being a place where you are guilty until you can prove your innocence, or if indeed we still live in a country where you are innocent until proven guilty. Um, last week, um, the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, actually said these words, no one is above the law and everyone has the right to a trial to prove innocence. Hopefully the former president will peacefully respect the system, which grants him that right. Okay, that's that's not accurate. There's nothing about that that is accurate. We don't live in a country where you have the right to a trial to prove your innocence. That That is not how it works. The presumption of innocence... Um, I mean, it dates back to, I don't know, ancient Babylonian code of Hammurabi. And in England, as early as the ninth century, um, remember King Alfred? He's the one that stated, in cases of doubt, one should rather save than condemn. 1471, Chief Justice um, John uh, Fortescue says, Indeed, I would rather wish 10 evildoers to escape death through pity than one man to be unjustly condemned. And then, of course, there is the um, Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts in 1850. All the presumptions of law, independent of evidence, are in favor of innocence. And every person is presumed to be innocent until he is proved guilty. So let's just be mindful of that uh, in our conversations and in our conduct. And when somebody misspeaks as badly as Nancy Pelosi misspoke on this particular topic, like we we ought to be pressing forward into the conversation and saying no that is actually completely the reverse of how it is uh it is supposed to work. All right, we're going to talk with Bill English next from bibleandbusiness.com. It is tax time again. Huh. We're going to we're going to talk about what's taxing us. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. That's the that's the music indicating that Bill English is back. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning, Carmen. How are you today? Good morning. Um, I'm well. I'm well. Um, good. It's tax time again. I felt like maybe it would just be helpful to have a conversation about like what what are taxes supposed to be for? Um, how are taxes working today? Who's paying them? Who's not paying them? I don't know. Could you just? It's tax time. What what do you find taxing today? I find a number of things taxing. Taxes are supposed to raise revenue so the government can uh, perform uh, essential functions that only government can perform, right? But that has long since gone out the window because we use the tax code now to incentivize economic and social behaviors. You know, we want people to own homes, so we give them tax breaks on the interest that they pay on their mortgages. We want people to... um, you know, maybe buy cars. And so we we give tax breaks for buying certain kinds of cars. Uh, you know, so the tax code is... Or have is, kids. 
<clears throat> or have kids. Yeah, man. We want we want people to, you know, be fruitful and multiply. So, you know, is is that a good use of the tax code to incentivize economic and social behaviors? I, I tend to think not, but that's probably the vast majority of what our tax code is actually attempting to do. And at the same time, by the way, keep everything fair or at least progressively fair so that everybody in, in theory is paying their fair share, which no one has ever defined. So yeah, that's, that's what that taxes me, <laughs> so to speak. So there's a, a fairly large percentage of the population that does not pay taxes. Um, Correct. And, and, and then a, a percentage of, of the population um, who are going to be, um, maybe carrying a heavier and heavier tax burden. Um, at least that's, um, that seems to be the trend. Yeah. I think it's something like 54 or 55% of, of adults now pay no federal income tax. Uh, that's how progressive our system is now. And I think if, if I remember correctly, the top 1% of wage earners pay something like 30 or 35% of the entire individual tax bill here in America. And yet they're the, those in the 1% are still thought to not be paying their fair share. Um, is that a heavy burden for them? Uh, probably not, not in terms of real dollars, but is it fair to them? I, you know, is it, is it fair for a person to consume services from the federal government and not participate in helping to support the federal government even to the tune of $1 a year, is that fair? And uh, I, I tend to think that, uh, that we are really on a downward spiral here in the sense of uh, the more people who don't pay taxes and yet consume uh, and get free stuff from the federal government, the more likely it is that they will uh, vote for people who will never advocate for a more, what I think would be a more fair a less regressive or less progressive tax system. All right. So um, I want to talk with you about who's working and who's not working. Um, I want to talk with you about a rising tide of layoffs across the country um, yes. and the new rules related to that. So we're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. If you haven't visited him there lately, I encourage you to do so. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Oh, the old rugged cross, so despised by the world. All right, there are waves of layoffs taking place um, across the United States and among U.S. companies from Goldman Sachs to McDonald's to Amazon. And and those layoffs are heavily, heavily concentrated in white-collar jobs. We're talking with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. What's your sense of, um, of what's going on um, in, in the culture and in terms of... Um, not only job opportunities, but these waves of layoffs. 
Well, I, I'll, I'll look at it from uh, kind of a business economic perspective. Um, I think the layoffs are are due. I think a lot of these companies were top heavy, and they built up kind of a top heavy number of people um, during COVID. And that and that's going to sound odd because there's a lot of businesses who were losing literally their business or their workers during COVID. But businesses were incentivized by the government to keep people on a payroll when they didn't have work for them or didn't have enough work for them. And what we're finding is that is that the work is not returning uh, to these companies. The the it's just not returning. So people are getting laid off as a result. Look, companies have have to uh, you know do this in order to keep their balance sheets good. Wall Street loves this because it makes companies more profitable. Um, is this a good thing for the people getting laid off? Generally not, although other studies will suggest that those who get laid off, 30%, maybe 35% of them, will go out and start new businesses. And those new small businesses are the engine that really keeps um, keeps America uh, economy going. Look, um, businesses that employ less than 100 people uh, nationwide uh, represent half the payroll in this country based on Census Bureau numbers. And so uh, some people getting laid off, that's actually going to be a good thing for them. And it's going to be a good thing for the businesses that they start and grow. And they'll be creating jobs and that and there will be a place for those other people to go as a result. Uh, anytime I have um, a friend, a family member, a colleague who is, uh, you know, going through an un- what what would be viewed as an unwelcome job transition, right? They got they got fired, they got laid off. Um, right. You know, after after listening, um, you know, I I always want to say like, is it possible that um, you know, that God's got something for you that you would not have pursued? Um, you know, had this had this past opportunity not, you know, been closed or taken from you. Um, And so I'm just always encouraging people to look toward the positive possible future that God might be um, calling them into. Um, There's an endless number of ways to serve God through our time and our talent and our energies and to till the soil of, um, of the culture of the days in which we live and to produce righteousness in the midst of it. So just invite people into all of that. Love to talk about um, retirement, Bill. I mean, you know, I don't know. Doesn't everybody right. love to talk about retirement? Oh, someday, yeah, of course, yeah. right? Someday, someday. Um, um, I, I suppose we enter into this conversation in part because of what's going on in France, and we kind of laugh when we say, "Oh, you know, they're all." I mean, they're in up and they're in an uproar that the retirement age has been raised to something that's less than the retirement retirement age here. But even the retirement age here isn't like a real retirement age. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that anyone can afford to quote unquote retire um, just on social security um, at 65 in the United States of America. So can you talk with us about what is quote unquote retirement age and maybe how we determine how much money we need to retire? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not able to talk about the amount of money that we need, although it's going to be more than what we think. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, in 1935, they set the retirement age at 65 when FDR signed the Social Security Act because 60%, less than 60% of Americans even lived to age 65. Today, the average life expectancy is now 76. 
I think it's also important to note that in 1945, we had 42 workers for every retiree. Today, we have less than three workers for every retiree. So the social security system, I think, is going to be difficult to maintain. Um, the retirement age, what health, uh, and, and really what we're, 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 by the way, what people should know, we're talking about a New York Times article that looks at the retirement age from a health perspective. Um, health people are saying we should be talking about a work span versus a lifespan. And that most of the health people would set a retirement age in the early to mid 70s, because most people who are healthy at age 50 will be able to work until at least age 73. And then chances are they'll come down with some kind of a disability, but they'll be able to work another on average eight years, uh, really until their early 80s. And so having the government set the retirement age at 67 now, because I'm my retirement age is 67, not 65, uh, having them move that to 70 or 75 uh, is, in my mind, quite logical and is probably the only way that the Social Security system is going to be um, uh, retained. Otherwise, there's just not going to be enough money in the system to pay the mandated benefits uh, if they don't raise the retirement age, I, th I really, I think, I think people are going to have to come to grips with the fact that for the vast majority of Americans, they're going to have to work until their mid to late seventies full time. And the idea that the government provides them a few wonderful years of travel and leisure before they die, because of the of the government um, subsidies and the, and the government pension and all that. I think that idea just has to has to be jettisoned out the window, quite frankly. Well, and if we if we were to adopt and then adapt ourselves to a genuinely biblical worldview related to this, um, the Bible does not. Uh, there's not much evidence for what we think of as retirement in terms of Correct. the way the Bible describes um, the living of a human life. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, and you, we do slow down as we get older, but I don't think the scriptures ever support us just completely stopping working and then depending on somebody else for our substance. Look, I think, you know, if, if you're to look at a theology of saving, uh, I, I cover this in my book, um, we should save enough to pay for future expense, reasonably so, to pay for future expenses. But we should not depend, at least in my estimation, on somebody else's productivity to pay for our outer years where we're going to be less productive. Now, there are situations where, you know, we can't do that. And that's where the body of Christ comes in to help support those who really can't support themselves. But uh, in the long run, uh, we should be planning to be productive uh, really almost until the day we die. Um, all right. I think that maybe Mario Biasetti should be our inspiration here. He has announced this week his retirement um, from serving as the bureau chief for Fox News in Rome. He's 96 years old and he's only going to retire in order that he can have the time he needs to write a book um, about his uh, about his life and um, and the experiences that he has had. He has no interest on sitting on a Mediterranean beach, but in using the days that he has left um, to glorify God and tell good stories. There you go. Good That's for him. My, I think, 
I know. That'll be the inspiration for the day. All right, Bill, as always, uh, thank you so much. We love talking you to you. You bet. You bet. Me too. You guys, check out check out what Bill's got posted at BibleAndBusiness.com. You can connect with him there and the books that he has written. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. All right, here's a little random sideline before we talk with Angie Ward about the least of these. So First Lady Jill Biden um, had this idea of inviting the Iowa women's basketball team to the White House um, in addition to inviting the um, uh, the the women who actually won the NCAA women's basketball championship game on Sunday, and that would be the LSU Tigers. And so um, now we have this statement saying, oh, no, no, um, the first lady's suggestion of inviting Iowa along with LSU, um, that's not going to happen. So, um, you know, it was a nice thought. It was a nice idea. It has led a lot of people to say, um, OK, well, well, how did the, all of this get going in the first place? So inviting champions or championship teams to the White House dates back to 1865. President Johnson welcomed the Brooklyn Atlantics and the Washington Nationals Amateur Baseball Clubs. Um, President Grant hosted the first professional baseball team. That would be the Cincinnati Red Stockings in 1869. Um, And President Coolidge invited the first World Series championship team, and that would have been the Washington Senators in 1924. Now, I mean, it's there's a championship team there um, or a person who has won a championship of some kind um, at the White House a lot. Like it's it's now uh, like part of the regular social calendar of the White House. So hats off to the Lady Hawkeyes. Um, well done. Um, hats off to the LSU Tigers, um, the women there. Um, and yeah, there was a men's championship game as well. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I'm not talking about that very much. But there you go. Congratulations to UConn. Um, people are playing games. That's uh, still happening in the midst of everything else that's going on in the world. We're going to talk about like how do we, how do we live and how do we move in the midst of a world where just a lot of people are so far um, outside of the kinds of opportunities that we would be talking about um, playing in a championship game at a college, um, visiting the White House. Just a lot of people living so far from that reality right now. And so what responsibility do we have as individually as Christians and collectively as the body of Christ in the world today to the least of these? What does it look like to practice a faith without margins? That conversation up next with Angie Ward. Angie Ward is joining us again today. Uh, She currently serves as the director of the Doctor of Ministry program at Denver Seminary, but she's got a um, a varied uh, career background, and we could be talking with her today about sports. She loves um, she loves basketball, so this is probably her season. She also loves urban hiking, which leads us into 
Uh, the conversation about the opening of the book we're going to discuss right now, the least of these. It's the third book in the Kingdom Conversation series. Angie, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. So good to be back. So um, remind us about the Kingdom Conversation series and then, um, you know, tee up, uh, tee up this particular book for us, the least of these. Yeah, so the Kingdom Conversation series was, uh, the series was actually kind of born with the first book in the thick of the pandemic. Uh, and it was and it was like, um, how, how do we have conversation, really as a book uh, is, um, you know, the, the title and it's NAB, from NAB Press, which is they focus on being a, a discipleship focused publisher. So how do we have these conversations that matter as disciples of, uh, and followers of Jesus Christ? And so uh, this is the third one of that. And uh, like you said, it's the least of these practicing a faith without margin. The first two, when the universe cracks living in times of crisis. And the second one was kingdom and country following Jesus in the land that we love. Yeah, these are all um, really critical conversations for us to learn how to have. Um, and I just absolutely love the way you open this particular book in the introduction. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking that your very spoiled beagle is the dog being walked. <laughs> you are correct. Yes, he is. Yeah, so, he reminds me when it's time to get out there. Um, is it possible? Do you have the book in front of you? Is it possible you could read the opening three paragraphs? Yeah, I do. Uh, yep. Hang on. All right. Uh, here I go. Nearly every day I take my dog on a walk around my neighborhood, my adopted city of Denver. In just a two-mile loop, I see so many needs. There's a man in a wheelchair struggling to cross the street before the traffic lights change. There's a single mother among a group of grocery store coworkers picketing for a better wage and frigid temperatures outside the store. There are the diverse riders of the public transportation system waiting at the bus stops on several corners along my route. There are college students with Black Lives Matter sign displayed in the windows of their dorms and rental houses, and students of all colors, ethnicities, and sexual identities make their way to and from class, sporting events, and watering holes. There's a homeless family huddled under the minimal shelter of the side entry to a local church, the entirety of their possessions contained in a shopping cart, the young children trying to stay warm in ragged sleeping bags. I walk past the elementary school that serves students from low-income families just blocks from the well-resourced school that proudly displays banners announcing all their state and national awards for high achievement. There are several neighbors with mental illness, their porches and yards piled high with clutter, And there are refugee families eking out a living with government assistance and praying their kids have a chance for something better. Just two miles, so many different people, so many needs, so many on the margins, so many dividing lines. Honestly, it's often overwhelming. I'm tempted to just return home, shut my front door and insulate myself. After all, where would I start? Who needs my assistance the most? And what really can I do? What can I give? Money? Time? My means, while greater than many around me, still seem so meager, so pathetically inadequate. Still, it seems I should do something. What is my personal responsibility? And what is the role of my church, of the church? Thank you so much. Um, Again, we're talking with Angie Ward. We're talking about The Least of These, Practicing a Faith Without Margins. It is the third book in the Kingdom Conversation series. Um, what did you learn, Angie, as you sought to look at the relationship between the body of Christ individually and corporately and the marginalized people in the midst of whom we live in this world? Uh, 
I've, this has been the most personally convicting um, of the series. I've, I've learned how easy it is to ignore uh, and how important it is to just open my eyes to what's right in front of me. Yeah, so, I think it's just so easy to go, go on our way to our things and go past those, those, like I said, the things that I see on my walk, you know, it's uh, the, the things we, people right in front of us as we go about our daily lives on our way to and from our, you know, what we consider our, our real work. But this is our real work. And when you say that, I think that it's not, that's not the work for which we have been equipped um, over the course of, mm. you know, of our life. Like, right, we've been mm-hmm. equipped to make our own way in the world and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and create our own space and build our own family and make our own little kingdom and make a name for ourselves. I mean, whatever. We have not been equipped to do what you're yeah. talking about in this book. So can you yeah. um, can you draw us into the conversations that um, are had here in the least of these? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and uh, like every book in the series, there's 10 different cha- uh, contributors, 10 different chapters, and each taking kind of a different angle on this. So, I mean, you know, each of them, one of them talks about, okay, first of all, who is our neighbor and getting us to kind of see this idea of seeing with different eyes. And, and then um, looking at this biblically, like, what does it mean that we are uh, men and women, we're all created in God's image and to look at each person and go, you, this person, you know, the people I described in those paragraphs I read are creating God's image. Um, And then the church has a history of um, uh, uh, throughout history of, being people of um, uh, people of faith who are meeting the needs around them. And so there's a chapter that talks about that. But um, uh, I think one of the most powerful is by an author named, uh, pastor named Brandon Washington, who just says, look, meeting the needs and, and being uh, um, the faith for them, uh, practicing faith for the marginalized and looking at the least of these and seeing those Jesus eyes, that is a critical part of the gospel. Um, it's an incomplete gospel for not doing these things. And, uh, and the, the importance then is of proximity and of getting near and not just kind of insulating or isolating ourselves from that. Um, and then there's some, a couple chapters toward the end, we move toward like, what can we do as a, ch- as a church, as individuals? How can we as a local, local faith communities become a people of glad hope? To those mm-hmm. in our communities around us, and then the last one is sort of a benediction of sort. Uh, you know, it's a let's go back to hope with all these needs. Just a reminder that God will wipe every tear from the eyes um, of those who are least, the lost, the marginalized, those who are hurting, sick, wounded, all those things uh, we see in around us and in our own lives. I don't want to say uh, it's too easy also to do dividing lines. It's you know me and the people with the needs. Uh uh-uh. uh I'm, a, I'm uh, just uh, as much, you know, marginalized in, in areas and in need of this whole gospel as well in my own life. Yeah, I think that if we could get to the place where, particularly that power of proximity conversation, mm-hmm. if, if we could look around our own life and, okay, I'm going to see my own, my own child um, who ha- who would be in that multi-ability church. Like, I need mm. the church to become a multi-ability mm-hmm. church before I die because Matthew's mm-hmm. going to need a multi-ability church to love mm. and support him. Um, and yeah. my granddaughter, Emma, is going to need a multi-ability church, um, mm-hmm. you know, not only when I'm gone, but when her own parents are gone. Like, right, we we look in our own 
it's not we don't have to look that far maybe is no, uh, is correct. what i want i w- i think you want people yeah. to hear that as well um yeah. and if we were to tend to not only the concerns of our own but having these communities of faith become the kinds of places that are yeah. flourishing communities for our own then they also become the kind of church that the world needs for sure absolutely yeah and i think our response i mean it's a part of our own formation and discipleship uh, it's shaping us just as much or even more so um, bringing us closer to the heart of god than um not just the meet, the needs that we think we're meeting out there or of other people it's it's forming us and transforming us as well mm, so good all right we're going to continue our conversation with angie ward in just a moment she's the editor of the least of these it is the third book in the kingdom conversation series the least of these practicing a faith without margin when you um look around your life who is your neighbor um what is the history of compassion in your own home, the history of compassion in your own church, your own community? Um, and what does a comprehensive gospel look like? Who are the people with whom you are proximate in terms of um, marginalized individuals and families and communities? Those are the kinds of conversations that are provoked um, in this um, in this Kingdom Conversation series book, and we want to delve more deeply into it. We'll continue this conversation with Angie Ward in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're continuing our conversation with Angie Ward. She serves as the editor of The Least of These, Practicing a Faith Without Margins. It's the latest in the Kingdom Conversation series from Nav Press. Um, Angie, I think that we see the needs. um, We drive past them. We walk past them. We avert our eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, We know the story of the Good Samaritan, um, and yet Mm. we acknowledge that we more often than not pass by. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's maybe jump to the, like, what can we do? Like, can we talk about that? Like, what what can we do practically? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we talked before about that power of proximity. And I think just, first of all, I think just uh, asking God each day, like, who do you want me to see? And, Mm. and just kind of slowing down and, and re, um, I don't know, reframing is, uh, and going, okay, who is, who, what is right in front of me? And even like uh, interactions at the grocery store when you're running errands, I mean, it's like, and, and truly seeing them as God's image bearer. So I think that's the first, just kind of uh, correcting our vision, uh, viewing with kind of corrective lenses for that. And then, uh, and then I think, for, I think it's a constant conversation with, with God and to ask the Holy Spirit, uh, 
you know, then show me what I can do. So um, my husband and I, we're in, in, in urban Denver and we're going like, okay, uh, we just, good. all right, we see all these needs that I just described. What What is going on in our community? What are ways we can um, meet those? One was though, just to interact with people and just say, have a good day or mm. um, uh, how can I pray for you? I mean, just, just to make a contact, you know, not just, well, there are other, they're there and we have our lives kind of thing. For us, we realized that um, in our neighborhood, the public school is a great place where all of the needs of the community are, are present. And, and so we're making, trying to make some connections within the local schools and going, hey, we want to be a good neighbor. How, how can we do that? You know, um, and I think part of it is not insulating ourselves. We lived in, uh, you know, I know you're audience a lot in the Twin Cities. We lived in Roseville for a while, and then we moved into St. Paul. And within uh, 24 hours, we knew more neighbors uh, there than we did in three years at our first house in Roseville. Because in Roseville, we went in the suburbs. We went back right into our garage and into our backyard, never had to interact with anybody. And where we lived in, in St. Paul, just three blocks to the south. We had um, neighbors on an alley and we could just walk up and down our street and talk to them. So just walking and talking, it's, it's a, it really is starts as simple as that. And if you're, you know, walking with the Holy spirit on those walks, I think you'll, your eyes will be open to things. Yeah. Just, I mean, going for a walk, walking and talking, um, those are so good. And, and finding those places of connection. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that as you're walking your beagle, um, you know, mm-hmm. there are other, there are other people who have dogs, um, and, yep. you know, right. And that gives you, uh, that gives you, yep. um, an entry point into a conversation that maybe somebody else, um, you know, doesn't have. And the person pushing a baby stroller is actually not that yes. different than a person pushing, um, a grocery, uh, a grocery cart that has everything they own in it. And I just, I mean, yes. there are, yep. yeah, you know, or an elderly person who is got one of those, um, you know, it's a walker, but it also has a seat in it and that, you know, they're, they're carrying things in that as they're trying to make their way, yep. um, you know, like as you yeah. describe across a busy street or something. I just think that there are, yeah. uh, there certainly are opportunities for us to have conversations with people and make connections that are just human. It, may, I mean, Angie, have we just it's a little bit sad that maybe we've arrived at the place where we just like need basic coaching in how to talk yeah. to other people. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, we view this stuff as kind of side stuff on their way to our, again, to our things, instead of viewing this as like the essence of what it means to follow Christ. Mm. It's in those little things. It's in, you know, uh, how, when somebody cuts you off or their cart, you know, again, like grocery store, like the, the things, uh, you know, that somebody cuts you off in traffic or people are, we think, in our way for things or slow us down. What if those are the divine appointments? Mm. That just reframes everything we do. Yeah, the people who I see as in my way when I'm on my way actually yes. may be the mission. The, and the way for us mm-hmm. to get to know Christ better, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Like I said, this was so convicting good. to me. I'm still living it out. You know, we all are. We're all in process. Yeah. And I, you know, the, I find myself, um, in fact, I just had this thought yesterday um, as I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching an, a man older than I am um, carrying what probably is all he owns in the world. And he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's, it, it's a struggle for him to move. He's not moving well. Um, he's walking in the opposite direction that I'm driving 
and you know, and I'm on a fairly I'm not, I don't live in an urban setting at all. And so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, how does a how does how did he arrive here physically? Mm-hmm. Like how mm-hmm. is he at this exit off the interstate? But then also like where is he going and how did he get to this place in life and um you know and what does the future look like for him like I, and and yet i just confess like i i also didn't turn the car around and pick him up because i don't know where i would have taken yeah. him yeah 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 well i th- and i mean you started which is great you ask you know you start asking questions listen looking at per- somebody as as they have a story you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and then, but yeah, then it's like, well, then what, what, um, and I've had those same times where I go, eh, should I, you know, at my best, I'm like, I even consider stopping other times. I'm like, eh, you know, uh, like, I don't even think about it. And, and so I don't know I'm just, it, you know, I'm just really on a growth journey of trying to be present and obedient to like with to those nudges, those twinges that we get. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for being real. Thank you for, you know, not suggesting to us that, oh, you know, here's three points in a poem. And if you just all do this, yeah. then it, you know, <laughs> everyone would live happily ever after. So um, yeah. thank you. We're, we are always going, I mean, Jesus affirms this, like the the reality of living in the midst of people who are experiencing poverty of one kind or another, this is going to be how it is until his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we yeah. have an opportunity to be a provisional demonstration um, of those kingdom values and those kingdom realities in the right here and right now. And so this book is an invitation to um, to learn how to do that a little bit better in the times in which we live. The book is The Least of These, Practicing a Faith Without Margins. Angie, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again. It's so good to be here. Thank you. That's Angie Ward. You can find her at AngieWardPhD.com or at Denver Seminary. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. As you um, walk this day with the Lord on this silent Wednesday um, of Holy Week, we don't, we don't know from Scripture um, really what Jesus was doing on this day. I, I imagine that he just spent this day in Bethany um, with his disciples and at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That's where we know he returned to each night of Holy Week. Um, maybe today he's just spending with them. So what does it look like today for you to Spend time with the Lord. Um, tomorrow's Maundy Thursday. After that is Good Friday. Jesus certainly knows what's ahead. We know what's ahead for him. And so maybe just spend this day um, with him. What, what would that look like for you to just spend this day with Jesus? Um, he's got a lot ahead uh, during this Holy Week. What does it look like maybe just to sit quietly with him for a time today? recognize all that he is pondering and weighing and anticipating and the glory set before him on the other side of the cross that's the motivation for him and that glory is you redeemed forever restored to a relationship with God the Father through his act of sacrifice Thank you so much for sharing this time today. Have a great day.
and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.